0: June 21, 2020, Jesus Heals a Man at Bethesda. John chapter 5. Well, welcome to the lesson today, which we find in John 5, 1 through 18. The lesson is entitled, Jesus Heals a Man at Bethesda. May we pray before we begin. Lord, we do thank You today for Your Word. For You and You alone, Lord, are our salvation and our hope. There is no hope outside of You. And we thank You. We thank You, Lord, that You gave us Your Word. We might read about You and know about You. And, Lord, we might see the miracles that You performed to help us to believe, to trust in You with all of our hearts. Bless Your Word today as it goes forward, I pray, Lord, it goes forth. I pray you'll bless it and I pray that you'll use it to convict us of sin, wrong thoughts and ideas and attitudes. And um, give us faith, increase our faith in you, Lord, to be obedient to you and trust you for everything and every way. Bless your word now as we present it, we pray, through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. We're looking at, as we said, that Jesus heals at the man at Bethesda. That's found, as I said, in John 5, 1 through 18. We look today at another, yet another case where Christ heals another person who has an incurable health illness issue. Uh, this man had been, was discouraged and in despair since he had his illness or uh, condition for a long period of time, been disabled for many years. Not only was he helpless, but he had no one to help him. Uh, or a limited amount of help at least. There's nobody there with Him to help Him get in the water, as we'll see. But uh, to become whole or become well, Christ has compassion, has compassion. Folks, I'm telling you, Christ has compassion beyond our imagination. We cannot imagine the compassion of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's it's um, it's just beyond human thought. And I just hope that the Lord will help us to... Uh, get a little glimpse of his tenderness and his compassion today some want to make him out to be a hard and harsh person usually satanic Uh, he is a tender and a loving God but he singled out he singled out this man for mercy Christ healed him and then called him to obedience of course sin and death is the number one health condition uh, or issue for all men and we're like this man we are helpless to do anything about it Our only hope is like this man, Christ, the miracle worker and the healer for both sin and eternal death. The man was healed and then he obeyed. This is a biblical pattern. Once forgiven, you obey. In the fall of 2017, a Marine veteran named Rob, Rob Jones... We had lost both legs in Afghanistan ran 31 marathons in 31 days in 31 different cities that's an unbelievable I've done some running in the past that's i I've never run a marathon but that's an unbelievable feat. I have run seven, ten 10 miles or so, but that's nothing compared to a marathon. But anyway, he ran 31 marathons in 31 days, 31 different cities, 874.2 miles, and unbelievable. And also is um, on prosthetic running blades. Not on feet like we have, but on blades. What was his purpose for this? His purpose were, according to him, encourage other wounded veterans to enter civilian lives of productivity, showing that they were able, not totally disabled, and also to raise money for veterans, various veterans' charities, and also to inspire others to set and reach goals. And he was successful in all. An unbelievable feat, to be sure. Uh, While this is an unbelievable encouraging lesson of determination, uh, it will not cure sin problem, but it certainly was a tremendous encouraging lesson uh, to encourage all to be determined and uh, make up our mind to seek what we're going after with our whole heart to work as as unto the Lord would be another good reason but anyway modern medicine in our age has enabled many of us to continue to live our lives with a condition that in days formal days would have been terminal however this day does not eliminate the need for the great physician because uh, we may have an illness from which we're not going to be cured or the person is not going to get well And uh, besides that, all of us have the terminal condition of sin. And only Christ can cure the terminal condition of sin. That's for sure. Uh, He is only the Holy and Righteous One. It's His righteousness alone that cures sin. His uh, gift on the cross, taking our sin upon Him, became sin for us. And uh, that's the only hope that we have. For eternity is Christ and His redemption on the cross. Today, Christ again shows His compassion uh, and mercy for the helpless and also revealed that He is God in today's reading. Why did the Lord do so many miracles? Well, number one was He cared about people. He was a compassionate, caring God. He cared about every person. Uh it's always it's always it's a miracle to me and, and i've probably said this before but it's still a, a miracle that when when uh, judas came to betray him the lord called out judas he said friend friend he called judas friend that's unbelievable what a heart of tenderness and compassion is beyond our understanding but anyway he, he uh he cared about um uh, why did he do so many miracles he cared about the people number one number two he wanted to assure us that he is God and uh, we can believe and trust him John uh, chapter 20 is also in this same book John said that these miracles and signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name and uh, we'll read the lesson material now. And that's John chapter five, verses one through eighteen. After this, verse one, five one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and the, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of of uh, sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made whole a well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said unto him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, "Sir, I have no man, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down in, into the water before me." <clears throat> Jesus said to him, "Rise, take up your bed and walk." Immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. That day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him who was cured, it is a Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered him, he who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they answered him, Who is the man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But one, the one who was healed did not know who it was that Jesus for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Uh, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus, <clears throat> with God. End of the lesson. End of the material. Uh, looking back now at the um, first verses, first several verses. The first point of the lesson was the hopeless condition leads to despair. That's John five one through seven. Uh, and it says in the, in the scriptures here that there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. There were three feasts of the Jews annually that all men were required to attend. They were the Feast of Unleavened Bread which is also combined with the Passover as they were basically one combined feast. Uh, there was a, a Feast of the Weeks as well Or or Pentecost, as it was called, because there was it was 50 days after the Passover. 50 meaning Pentecost. That's where the pent meaning five. The pentagon is what we're familiar with has five sides. Also, um, Pentateuch. uh, The first five books of the Bible are called a Pentateuch, which means five. Um, Also called the the feast of Pentecost was also called the feast of weeks, the feast of first fruits and the feast of the harvest. Then the third feast was the feast of tabernacle or booths or gathering could be called any of those. It was end of the harvest period. It lasted eight days in length. And It is of note to me anyway about these feasts that all men were required to come to Jerusalem three weeks per year for these each week. Each feast was a week and some eight days one eight days. But anyway, there were three feasts per year. Uh, what did they do when I mean, they were gone three weeks of the year for these three feasts? What did they do about their farms and businesses and so forth? Well, uh, my thinking is they made arrangements uh, for somebody to take care of them while they were gone. Might have been the wife, might have been some children. I'm not positive how that all happened, but anyway, they made arrangements, or they just trusted God to take care of the whole thing while they were gone I think I recall reading at one time in the scriptures where um, that's exactly what happened the Lord said I'll take care of your uh, situation while you're gone and uh, I'm not sure the the scriptural reference but I think there was something that was alluding to that well anyway um, the Lord went up to the feast But uh, well the Lord went up to the feast because he he did not want to violate the commandments of the Old Testament he brought himself in into subjection under 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 the law, under the Old Testament. Remember what he told the lepers he healed in this lesson several weeks ago? What did he tell them? He said, go to the priest. Why did he tell them to go to the priest? That was the Old Testament command when you've been healed you go to the priest and so he did not want to destroy the law he came not to destroy the law he said but to fulfill the law and absolutely that's the case he he was obedient Lord in everything uh, that was commended of him But uh, there was in Jerusalem verse 2 says, there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool archaeologists have by the way established that it did exist and uh And by the way, it was by the sheep gate, just as the word of God says. A pool was there that was called Bethesda in the Hebrew, I believe it is. And that word means the house of mercy. And perhaps that's why uh, there were so many people there. It was known as the house of mercy. And uh, they were seeking mercy. But anyway, there's a great multitude there uh, of sick, blind, lame, Paralyzed, waiting for the troubling or the uh, moving of the waters. I think the King James says troubling, basic same thing. These were impotent people, the people who had no ability to take care of themselves. They were without power to cure their problems. Does not the Lord say, this is true of all of us, we have not the power to cure our sin problems. And G and other problems, we just don't have the power. But our sin problem, the only the Lord can solve that problem. This may be of some interest. <clears throat> verse 3B, which is the last part of the uh, verse 3, of course, where, where it says that... Uh, Waiting on the moving of the water in verse 4, which we'll look at in just a minute, are not in some ancient manuscripts. But it is thought it was added by scribes to help us better understand the Scripture. That does no violence or injustice to the Scriptures. With or without that portion would make no change in what the Scripture has to say, really. But it was just added something by scribes uh, to help us understand what was going on. In verse 4, an angel came down and stirred the water, it says in verse 4, and this is again by explanation, he stirred the water, Um, and the first person that stepped into the waters were healed. Apparently this was so. If it had not been so, why in the world would so many people that were disabled be there if there's no truth to it? So apparently it was so. Can I explain that? I cannot explain that. But apparently it was so because of large crowds that were there. Then in verse 5, says a certain man who had an affirmative for 38 years, uh, it didn't say really that he had been there at the pool for 38 years, but probably he had been there for a number of years. And. Uh, Uh, the man probably hadn't been able to walk or apparently he was if he was able to walk at all I don't think he was it was a halting way because he could move very very slowly I don't know if he had to crawl or what he had to do but apparently he wasn't able to walk uh, because the Lord told him to get up and walk which he hadn't previously been able to do so I'm not sure how he got around exactly had an uncle by the way that was paralyzed in his feet and uh, he this is quite unusual, I thought. He learned to walk on his hands. But uh, nonetheless, I don't think this man could do that. But I think he had a difficulty moving and also having anybody to help him move. But he got around very slowly, and he watched the water. incessantly. you can imagine that if you were sitting there by that pool, and you know when that water is troubled. I'm not sure how he knew what it would look like, but he apparently would know. He probably apparently had seen it before because he said other oh, people had gotten there before he did, which we'll see in just a second. But he watched that water incessantly hope to get in. But note that Christ spotted or targeted this certain man. Perhaps he knew he had been there the longest of any of the people that were there, or perhaps he saw that he was the most helpless, or uh, he, he saw that he, was no, he, was, he had no helpers. But whatever the reason Christ targeted him, for grace and mercy that's for sure then in verse 6 we see that Christ saw him lying there Christ as we just said spotted him now I think this is of interest because in the previous lesson we've talked about the helpless spotted Christ the lepers came and spotted him and they called out for, the, for Christ to have mercy on them then the woman had an issue of blood she said if I can just get close to him and touch the hem of the garment, I'll be made whole and at that particular time, Jairus also, who was a ruler of the synagogue, had a sick daughter. He came to ask the Lord to heal his sick daughter, who of course died before the Lord got a chance to heal the sickness. But he healed the healed terminal illness. That's for sure. But anyway, they had sought him, the point I'm trying to make. They had sought him. But in this case, Christ seeks, seeks this guy, this certain man, the scripture says. It's Christ spotted this certain man. perhaps, this man had not been told about Christ as others had had already heard about Christ and so sought him. Or perhaps he had no way to go to Christ if he uh, had heard about him or he had no one to help him get there to seek him. But uh, this one Christ came to seek and save. That's what he said. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And this is a perfect example of it right here. Christ came to save that which was uh, lost. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I think something else about this, the, the, the initiative I think we have to remember about this, regardless of whether a person was seeking Christ, whether Christ was seeking the person, the initiative for salvation is always Christ, always God. He is the seeker and saver of all the lost. No matter how it happened, ultimately he was the seeker if you sought him it's because he moves your heart to seek him you didn't seek him naturally because a natural heart is not going to seek him that's just the way it is and that's the truth of the matter but anyway the lord takes the initiative and it's a great thing because we love ourselves we love our ways we love sin we wouldn't seek him he has to take the initiative to draw us to himself to seek him but anyway um he Then I think another thing of interest in this verse is that he knew this man's condition. He looked at the man, he knew his condition. Well, that's encouraging, I think, because uh, the Lord looks at me and he knows my condition. He looks at you and he knows your condition. He absolutely does know, and that's a wonderful thing that Christ said uh, about it, that he does uh, uh, know our condition. But Christ said, to the man, do you want to be made well? And to me and to anybody, I think that would sound like a kind of an absurd question. Man, uh, and why in the world would he been laying there all this time? Or ever how many years it had actually been he was laying there if he did not want to be well? And I think the obvious answer is that he did want to be well. But uh, the Lord wanted to point out some things to him, bring some things to, his, to the forefront of his mind. I think there are some that enjoy the tension of being sick, but this man was not that, not that at all. But the possible, two possible reasons, say Jay Vernon McGee, and I don't know, he's good, I'm not positive he's 100% right all the time, like all the rest of us, but anyway, he said there's two possible reasons why he might have said, do you want to be well? Number one was to get to beget hope in this man because he had been so far down in despair, to think that there might be a possibility that he could be well. That would be that would be a, 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 a tremendous uplift if you'd been in that condition and the Lord said "You, uh, do you really want to be well and then Christ also wanted to take this man's eyes off the pool which he had focused his eyes on the pool and uh, I think it was Peter James and John maybe it was Peter sitting at the temple and the man came by uh, he came by the man and, and, and they told him it was Peter and John I believe and he told the man focus your attention on me and uh, look on us. And uh, this is what the Lord basically said that it was saying to this man, focus on me, and uh, look at me. And uh, and get your eyes off the pool. The pool is not going to solve your problem, but I am. But regardless of our circumstances, no matter what the circumstances you face or I face, we've got to take our eyes off the possibility of the moving of the water, as it were, in this illustration of these scriptures today, and focus on Christ. He is the only one that can heal this man's problem, heal my problem, or your problems. We must focus our eyes not on the circumstances of life, but on Christ alone. My mother had a, has, a, I think I mentioned it one time before, but it's worth repeating. She had an old a statement I've got in my Bible, as a matter of fact, here beside me, that said the circumstances of life do not make you what you are. And they reveal what you are. And that is so absolutely true. And uh, if we'll keep our eyes and our heart focused on Jesus Christ, that will change who we are and what we are and the way we behave. I'll tell you that for sure. But anyway, in verse 7, I think the man's answer was obviously, sure, I want to be well. Why else would I be here all these years if I didn't want to get well? But anyway, um, I want to be well, but I don't have anybody. He said, I don't have anybody to help me. Always somebody beats me down to the water because I don't have anybody to help me get to the water. Somebody is uh, beats me there every time. He focused on his ability to get to the water. And uh, focusing on my ability or you focusing on your ability to get to the water or to get an answer to your concern or problem is is not going to solve it. It's not going to solve it. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and focus our eyes and our attention on Christ. He is the only person that can help us. Focusing on our ability, our self-ability, uh, is it, it, is a, a losing proposition that lead. It certainly will lead to despair. This man sought many years to get there, but he couldn't get there. He focused on his ability or his helpers' ability to get him there, and it didn't. And uh, focus on our ability to do something. Not going to get us there either. But Christ wants the man's eyes off the pool and on him, and that's why he said, uh, "What he did. Do you want to be well?" and he wanted to get his eyes off the water and look at him. The same is absolutely true of us as I've stumbled around saying. Forgive the rambling, okay? But anyway, the second series of verses is entitled, Miraculous Healing Leads to Obedience. And that's chapter 5, of course, 8 through 15. Christ said to him, in verse 8, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Christ gave this man grace to believe him. Uh, I don't know that you just say, well, wait a minute now. Uh, hold a minute. I've been laying here all these years. I don't know if my legs... Will do I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. But obviously, Christ gave him grace to believe him. First of all, he, re- he received grace to believe him. And Christ gave him grace to believe him, and then he took up his bed and walked. So grace precedes obedience. Without grace, there's not going to be any obedience. He took up his bed because... And think it's pretty interesting. He took up his bed because he wasn't, The Lord wasn't going to let him have a relapse. Talk, I read part of the reading was about that. I read today was about uh, comps and faith healers. And somebody said, "I uh, uh, wonder do all the people that come to faith healers actually really get healed? And if they do get healed, does it last?" Uh, but the Lord told him to get up his bed and get up and walk because he wasn't going to need to come back to that place he didn't need that place and he didn't need that bed anymore. but get up your bed and get take your bed and walk. we're moving out of here. So immediately um, the man was made whole and he obeyed. Uh, the day was that this happened was the Sabbath day and the Jews said today is a Sabbath it's not, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And uh, I don't think they were awful concerned about him walking, because I'm sure they were walking. But he had, or they had, a real problem with him carrying his bed. Christ would not violate the law, any of the laws of his father, while he was any at any time. But while he was on earth, he did nothing to violate the Ten Commandments or any laws that God, that God had established. So, um, what this man? uh did was not a violation of sabbath laws it was a violation of the extra rules and regulations that the jewish people had come up with and they had come up with a host of them Uh, and the lord didn't pay much attention to them he said you're more worried about the traditions of the elders than you are about keeping the word of god that's what he told them Uh, i know one occasion he said you don't even do anything to help your parents you're so worried about, oh, you're going to make a show with what you're doing. These rules and regulations had a lot to do with a show, a public show. But uh, anyway, you're more worried about rules and regulations, self-made rules and regulations, than you are obedience to the Word of God. But Christ absolutely conformed to the commandments of God the whole time He was on earth. Um <laughs> In a second, he said, who in the world, and he's, he used a illustration, who of you, if your ox was in a ditch today, would not go and get your ox out of the ditch? Or to uh, relieve some pain or suffering, something that you could do today. Uh, not, it's not going to work as an eight-hour job. It's something that it was an emergency type situation that needed to be done. The Lord would, didn't discourage that. And we clearly see here the compassion of Christ compared to the legalism of man. You know, it's kind of amazing. They didn't even care that the man was made whole. What bothered them was he violated their man-made rules. What upset them? You know, these rules and regulations. I think uh, these rules and regulations. I'm checking off this box. I'm checking off that box. I think that that violate, that checking off the boxes like that has a lot to do with pride. Oh, I kept this rule. Kept that rule. That has a lot to do with pride. Grace doesn't have much to do with pride. Grace shows there's nothing to be proud about, but the grace of God—that's the only thing to be proud about. But then they asked him, uh, uh, "Who had healed him?" And he uh, he said, "They asked him the man that told me, who the man that healed me told me to take up my bed and walk." Verse eleven. It appears that the Lord did not take up time explaining to him who he was or why he had healed the man. And uh, who, in verse 12, it says that uh, who told you to take up your bed and walk? Um, they didn't even care. That was, a, was so cold hearted. They didn't even care that he could take up his bed and walk. All they cared about was who healed him, who broke our little rule or regulation. But the man didn't even know in verse 13, the man didn't even know at this point that it was Christ who had uh, healed him. And he had, Christ had withdrawn himself from them. There's a crowd of people there and he had withdrawn himself. And he had done that several times, you recall, in the past. Christ just kind of got out of the way and in effect hid himself in the masses and didn't disclose himself. Maybe should be a better way to say that. But anyway, perhaps to let, uh, maybe he got out of the way and didn't disclose who he was and all, so this event would occur. I'm not sure, but whatever the reason, that's what he did. Afterward, Christ found him in the temple. Now, notice this. Note that while the man... Uh, Christ found him in the temple. Note where the man was now. He was not by the pool. He was, he was in the temple. My thinking is that he was giving praise to God, praising and thanking God for the miraculous healing that he had received. He was in the house of worship now, being healed, he was in the house of worship. Well, and that's appropriate. And that's exactly right. That's where he was. And that's where the um, uh, religious leaders were. And uh, But also Christ was there. But notice this time, though, afterward, Christ found him in the temple. Christ, he was in the temple. Christ was in the temple. But Christ sought him once again. The Lord sought him once again. Our God is a seeking God. He seeks us. He seeks us, to, uh, and he said to him, "See now, you've been made whole." The Lord sought him, and he said, "See now, you've been made whole." And then he said to him, "Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you." Some of the some of the commentators, several of them, as a matter of fact, said that this man's sin was the reason he was uh, he, he had had this infirmity. I don't know about that. I don't see anything really per se that the commentators seem to think that that's what the implication is. But because he said sin no more, that's the worst thing that happened to you. That this might have been a result of sin. It could be. I don't, I'm i not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. But I'm just and that's what some of the commentators think. They thought that sin brought on his circu- present circumstances. So some think that um, that's what caused him and that's why he... Uh, and some also think, this is an interesting point also, some some think, and I kind of would agree with this, that uh, when he was healed, he didn't even know who healed him. But now the Lord reveals who he is, that he's Christ, he's the Messiah, he's Jesus Christ, the anointed one, and that's when he actually, was, he actually believed and was converted. And I kind of think that's the case, because he really didn't even know who he was at first. But he believed on him. I can tell you that for sure. When he saw him again, he was more than um, rejoicing and happy to believe on him and accept him as Christ. I really believe that's where way he was converted there. But anyway, he also said to him, Christ said, go and sin no more. But um, Christ said, go and sin no more. Perhaps that had to do with the... Um, uh, the condition it caused in the first place, caused the sickness in the first place, or perhaps it had to do with the eternal consequences. But anyway, the life of the believer, that's what John says in First John. He says, if you live a life of sin, well, you're not, you, you haven't been converted. You're not saved. And if uh, you say that you hadn't sinned at all, well, you're not converted. But if you live a pattern of sin, that proves you're not converted. But anyway, he said, go and sin no more. In verse 15 the man went uh, after he found out who his healer was jesus christ he went to the he went to the jews who had questioned who it was that healed him now he didn't hide that information he was glad to disclose it so here we went to the jews and told them who it was that had healed him that it was jesus christ now notice this is i think is interesting number one he was not ashamed of Christ. And that's what the Scripture says. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And uh, he was not ashamed of Christ. So he went to those people, the Jewish leaders, and he said, I'm not ashamed. But it was Christ that healed them. So he sought them out. And, uh, and the second thing about it is, he was not ashamed of Christ. And the second thing was, he wasn't afraid of the Jews. And I think that's an also an interesting point. Uh, this was a way, this is the way, should be the pattern for all believers that if we believe in Christ, we shouldn't be ashamed of Him. We should be readily to acknowledge that Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And we shouldn't be afraid of those that oppose us or unbelievers. We must be bold for Christ. But anyway, then the next, the last group of verses has to do with a hostile response from the Jews. Verse 16 says, For this reason, what reason? Because He had healed on the Sabbath day. They sought to kill Him. He was in violation it, uh, their sabbath rules and regulations which were not of the ten commandments at all he is the lord of the sabbath he could he could uh he is a sabbath he is our rest so uh, technically he couldn't violate the sabbath but for the sake of man and for the sake of uh, uh of uh, batting and the uh validity of the scriptures and the Ten Commandments. I don't think he violated the Sabbath. I know he didn't violate the Sabbath day. He couldn't have it. He came not to violate them or do away with them, but to uh, fulfill them. What was the Sabbath all about? And as you you know the answer to it, I feel sure that um, the Sabbath was made, he said on one occasion, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man wasn't made to serve the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was for man so that men might rest on the Sabbath. And that's, I think, a wonderful provision that the Lord has made for us. He knows that we need rest. It again proves His grace and His kindness and His mercy. He knows we need rest. And rehabilitation also sets aside a day of worship. Uh, So the Lord knew exactly what He was doing in making the Sabbath for man. But the beginning of the text, this Jay said, this is the beginning of the attacks on Christ to kill him. And they'll not rest until they, at the foot of the cross with their arms folded, thinking they got a job well done. Unfortunately, that's just not anywhere near the case, as we all know. But in verse 17, Christ says, My father works until now, and I also. We don't have to... they don't, we don't have to rest. I thank God. He was saying that we're God. We don't have to rest. We're not like men, but he was a man when he was here. So I believe that he obeyed the Sabbath and like I said earlier, did not violate the Ten Commandments. But anyway, the the Heavenly Father continues keeping all things orderly every day. He is, I believe, working every day. He doesn't need to rest. He has no uh, fatigue and he's continually uh, working. And so, uh, but I'm certain that Christ did not violate the Ten Commandments in any way while he was here in the flesh. He totally honored God's Word. Making someone whole, as he equated earlier, as we mentioned earlier, was like really getting the ox out of the ditch. That's not like going and working an eight-hour job or whatever, eight or ten-hour job or whatever. But um, it was being merciful in kind. They sought to kill him then, because of his violation of the Sabbath, and that he said God was his Father, making himself equal to God. Also, we see here the time. Uh, we see here the Trinity. At least two parts of it. He said he was God, and his Father was God. So we see at least the two parts of it there. At this particular time, he is absolutely God. Now, if he had not been God, and he had been making this statement then he, had, he would be in, in violation of uh, the scriptures and he would be subject, I think, to the death penalty because he would have been a hypocrite and a liar. He would not. He'd been blaspheming to say he was God when he was not. But he acknowledged he was God and he was not blaspheming because he was the Christ indeed. Over and over again, he keeps saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. Uh, we've got to believe that. We've got to trust him. We know it so, and we do trust him that he is indeed the Christ, and he is indeed God. But anyway, he would have been under death sentence for sure if it had been blasphemy. But what do we learn from today's lesson? There are a number of things I don't think I even scratched the surface. But one thing that we should have learned today, that Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. He is a merciful and gracious and kind God. Number two, Christ loves the helpless and the hopeless. He came to seek and save that, which those who need a physician, he said. Then Christ is a Sabbath. He is the rest of God. That's one thing. But also know that Christ is God. Because he is the great physician, he is on call 24-7. We can can come to him with all of our cares and all of our concerns 24 hours a day. He's on call 24 hours a day for all our cares and all our concerns may we come to him and come to him we are needy people may we come to him realizing our need for his help for his strength for his guidance for his motivation we are totally dependent upon him i say every day lord i am totally dependent upon you 100 percent depend on you today and that's absolutely the case May we pray. I pray that first of all, God, before I start praying, I say, I I pray that the Lord has used this today to help you in some way. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for the confidence and assurance that you are the Christ, that you're not violating any rules, laws, or regulations while you were here on earth. You fulfill the law. Every jot and total, and you came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. You are the fulfillment of the law. And I thank You, Lord, that You've presented Yourself to us today as You have, the sinless Son of God, full of kindness and full of mercy, full of compassion. Give us grace, Lord, to be more like You, to care about our fellow men like You do, Lord, like You love us. Give us that kind of compassion, that kind of grace, to care more about compassion and kindness to people, Lord, than legalism. Forgive us of our legalism. It's in our lives, Lord, I pray this day. Give us a heart of compassion and love and motivation and concern, Lord, for you and for others. And you said in your word, the first commandment is to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and spirit and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Give us that grace to keep those, Lord, that commandments. those commandments, that's the greatest of all. Bless us, Lord, cause us to be obedient to you in word and deed today, I pray and ask it. Through Christ's name, just through uh, Christ's name, I pray and ask these things, Lord, amen.